This is the Boss Mama Jamma podcast. The can we be honest here podcast to help working moms survive and thrive. Because let's be honest, this shit's hard. I'm your host, Kate Glaystein. Let's talk about it, mama. Hillary, thank you for joining the Boss Mama Jamma podcast. Uh, as an intro, Hillary is a commercial attorney specializing in insurance law with the law firm Goldberg Sagala. Is that how you say it? Sagala? That is, yeah. LLP. She is based in Philadelphia where she lives with her husband, Mark, and her adorable toddler, Aiden, and soon to be Baby Dose. And in addition to her law practice, Hillary sits on several nonprofit boards in the community and is an active leader in the Philadelphia Bar Association. When she isn't working, Hillary loves to try new recipes. She's a great cook, upcycle furniture in her beautiful new home, and also attend fish concerts. And I believe you said you're at 50 fish concerts? Maybe, maybe a few more at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need to get into the details. Yeah. (laughs) So along with being a a badass lawyer and mom, you also like to attend your fish concert still. You still have your your weird side, which is a good thing. That's right. Got to keep it a little weird. Keeps things interesting. And so Hillary, thanks so much for joining me and recording. Um, You and I were talking a couple months ago about the podcast and about especially our professions and kind of modeling ourselves as moms after our, the, the working mom experience that we had with our own mothers and being children. And I think it was something really, a lot of like cool stuff that we were kind of talking about um, in what we experience as kids, but you actually have a really unique experience because you and your mom are in the same profession. You're both attorneys and you've kind of followed your mom's shoes in a lot of ways, but obviously you're a different person. You approach your profession differently. You approach life differently. So I think it's really cool to, to kind of talk about being a mom as a lawyer, having been a child of a mom as a lawyer. Sure. Yeah. Um, happy to talk about my experience with that. So as you mentioned, my mom, uh, was an attorney. She's recently retired just for a bit of background context. Um, she went to law school at a time when women didn't really go to law school yet in any significant numbers. Uh, when she graduated from law school, she was one of the first classes with in the country Uh, where women went into the practice of law, specifically in our civil agencies. So for my mom, she went to the district attorney's office in the Bronx in New York. Um, And that's where she learned to be an attorney. Um, And it was tough and it was hard. For those who don't know, as a district attorney, you kind of straddle this role between an officer of the law and then also like a police officer. So you're literally at the crime scene with the police officers, um, starting to do your own factual investigations on behalf of the city. Um, so that was, that was her intro to the practice. And then doing that in the Bronx, like the early eighties. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And she grew up Um, So she did, she was born, raised and educated in the Bronx as she'll love to tell you, graduate of Fordham, undergrad in Fordham law. My grandmother worked at Fort Prep, so. Mm-hmm. 
Um, everyone was very disappointed when I didn't end up there. Anyways, uh, <laughs> could have been there. friends in college. You know, missed opportunities, right? <laughs> missed connections. <laughs> uh, I probably would have been a better person and a better college student having known you during college. Yeah, I don't know about that, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that you had that influence on my husband. So that's good. <laughs> so um, after my mom left the DA's office, she started in private practice. She met my father, holiday party. She moved to Philadelphia. They got married. Blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. When she got to Philly and started practicing in Philly, um, she was, again, a first. She was one of the first female plaintiff's lawyers in Philadelphia, specializing in plaintiff's injury and medical malpractice. Um, and again, for those who aren't familiar with the Philadelphia legal scene, um, it is a, it's a small, tight-knit community of mm -hmm. thousands of lawyers who know each other's business. And it's a, still a bit of an old boys club. So to be a woman now is not the easiest. To be a woman then was especially difficult. Yeah. Um, and my mom dealt with a lot of adversity being a woman in a predominantly male field. Mm -hmm. And that really shaped who she became and what her lawyering persona was up until the end of her career. So it's interesting now for me as an attorney um, talking to other attorneys who practiced with her because they say things like your mom, she, you know, Titan, Titan of the legal industry. Uh, she was pretty so proud. Absolutely. Certainly proud. But then they <laughs> followed up with, she was ferocious. She didn't give you an inch. She was tough as nails. And I say, yeah, well, you know, you, you have to be, right? When you're in those types of situations, no one was gonna give her an inch, so she had to claw her way for the mile. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say she was a bitch. A lot of people say she was nasty. But at the end of the day, she was really good at what she did. Yeah, which um, is also a label, you always hear that, you know, had, had your mom been a man, behaving that way in that scene you know she wouldn't have had the label as a bitch or nasty she would have been you know maybe they would have left it at ferocious at at the worst <laughs> but it, you know she would have been like tenacious tenacious right like capable like zealous yeah, things yeah exactly. a real go-getter you know or some <laughs> some shit like that but yeah. yeah i could see because she was a woman she had to be extra aggressive and or maybe not. Maybe she was following the lead of, of men and she's had a little bit of that label or something, somewhere in between, probably. I think you're right. I think on the nose, somewhere in between trying to cultivate her own identity, but also doing what she needed to do to not only be accepted, but be respected and taken seriously by her male peers, as well as the male judges. Um, you know, she was appearing before case in, case out. Yeah. So growing up with that was unique. Um, <laughs> you know, we talked a little bit about our, our family dynamics have always been very interesting because my father's also an attorney. He practices in a very different area of law. And for better or worse, 
whether they realized it or not, I think they were always training or at least subconsciously indoctrinating my sister and I uh, on the ways of legal argument and legal persuasion. Mm. Uh, benefit is sister and I are very articulate women. Uh, detriment is I often get yelled at by my husband for lawyering him and that <laughs> not every argument needs to be a uh, cross-examination. <laughs> Your term persuasion, yeah. legal persuasion, I would say you're much more of you're very good at persuading people and kind of leading people to the conclusion. But I could see where Mark could be like, you're lawyering me. You're lawyering me to the conclusion. That's right. That's absolutely right. And you know, that's his prerogative as husband. But I'm happy, you know, you picked up on that persuasion part because that's what I decided, you know, I wanted to take from my mom's legal persona and her lawyering persona mm -hmm. is I didn't want to be as tenacious because I have my own personality. I'm not as, you know, I, I use this word previously tenacious as she is. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think, uh, can I ask you one, mm -hmm. one question? Cause your, yeah. your dad is also an attorney. Mm -hmm. Did you, did anybody ever describe your dad's style to you? I mean, you, you, you said, you know, people said your mom was tenacious. She was a bit of a bitch or, you know, all these lovely terms, but did anybody ever say anything about what, your dad's behavior in and out of the courtroom in his profession? Yeah. So my dad, um, he practices in family law. It's a much more emotional space. I would say his strength is empathy. Mm. He is probably the most empathetic person I know. And he has always approached his practice of law with the thought of you get more bees with honey, uh, be kind to everyone because you never know who you're going to need. So he's literally the guy who walks down the courtroom hallways and everyone's like, ah, oh, hey, David, hey, David, how's it going? You know, um, he's like the mayor of his own little kingdom. Mm -hmm. So slightly different approach um, and much, you know, well-suited for his particular area of practice. Right. And between you and me, that was a approach and a persona that I gravitated more towards. Like it complemented my personality and who I am and how I like to approach problem solving um, much more so. So for me, I had this benefit of two very different role models, two very different uh, personalities and I got to pick and choose the best parts of each in my opinion yeah uh, to make it my best legal personality yeah. and it has really you know served me well mm -hmm. uh, because now I find that I can be very persuasive um, I can get consensus and in my specific area of practice consensus building is really important Right. Um, and getting everybody to some form of yes, mm -hmm. even if they're a little reluctant. Um, and I know everyone's given up a little bit to get a little bit. Um, that's what they you know, call it, it a serves me well. Right. Yeah. Right. Because settlements are where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also, I mean, kind of cool that like you looked at it. I think everybody kind of mimics their parents in certain ways and your personality is molded a lot by the example that 
their parents that, but that's usually on like a, you know, personal family interaction basis or, you know, how you might interact with your friends. It's not always common to like look at your parents and kind of pick and choose the personalities and the ways that you see them use their, their personalities in their profession. So you, I think, are in a, a really unique spot. You have your mom and your dad both in the same profession and you can say, okay, I want, I definitely want to go into this field. Let me see, you know, which approach best fits my personality and then also is going to serve me best in the workplace. Because I think if, if, you know, you were to follow just your mom as the, the only example in going into law, you and your mom, like you said, are very different people. You have very different personalities. So like if you were almost to try to emulate her personality in the workplace, that could feel so inauthentic to you. Yes. Yes. Sure you do like call on your your sadisms a little bit at some point. <laughs> yes, I would not be my authentic self, um, and I think it's really important to bring your full authentic self with you to work each day because mm-hmm. it's exhausting pretending to be someone or something that you're not. Yeah. Uh, so make it work for you, right? In the way that allows you to succeed but also be true to yourself and feel good uh, about what you're doing yeah. and how you're interacting with other people and treating them. For me, it's always been, I want to be respected and I want you to feel respected. And if we both feel that mutual respect, we're going to have a much better relationship, understanding you know, we're adversaries, right? Like my opposing counsel and I are adversaries, but we can still work together. We can still collaborate. We can still think creatively to solve all the problems between our clients, but there has to be a foundation of respect. And, you know, it's, it's very true. You can't respect yourself. You can't respect others if you aren't being true to yourself and bringing your full honest self to the table. So when you decided to become a lawyer, were your parents just like, oh, of course, or... <laughs> <laughs> Did they just like celebrate it? Were they like, woohoo, this is, she's following in my footsteps. No, she's following in my footsteps. So it was funny. I actually spent most of my childhood and young adult years saying, absolutely not. Never going to law school. Not happening. I couldn't, you know, be less interested in it. Um, And then there was a sea change in 2008. We all lived through the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a junior in college abroad watching the U.S. economy just tank. Yep. Um, and I said, I got to find something to do. <laughs> so, Jobs don't what really I, seem like an option right now. <laughs> exactly. Where I wanted to go with my, you know, what I thought I wanted to do was no longer an option. So um, I looked at my skill set and I said, all right, I guess... I guess I'm going to go to law school and then I'm going to find an alternative legal career. I'm not going to actually practice law. So I'll never forget. I Skyped my parents um, because I was in Amsterdam and I said, so I made a decision. I'm going to apply to law school when I get back. And I swore our connection froze. Meanwhile, (laughs) I didn't realize it was just dead silence and shock on their end. Um, They were just like, 
completely floored by my decision. They probably went on um, mute and were like, we did it. <laughs> we, we got her. <laughs> and, you know, my mom finally was the first to say, honey, I'm simply thrilled. I can't wait to help you pick a law school. Mm. And my dad said, are you really sure that's what you want to do? I think you should reevaluate this. And I said, no. Your dad talking you out of it, your mom being like, you're going to get into so many law schools, we're going to have to choose the right one. (laughs) Exactly. Very different perspectives. Um, And they, you know, ultimately I applied, I got in a few places, I went. They were always wonderfully supportive of my decision to go. Um, They were equally as supportive of my decision to at the time, find an alternative legal career, meaning a career where it was good that I had a JD, but I wasn't necessarily a practicing attorney. Um, They were very supportive when I decided I wanted to do an extra year and a half and go to business school and come out with an MBA as well. When I said, okay, I guess I'm gonna go get a job and I didn't land that alternative legal career like I had hoped, um, again, they were, they were there, they were there to support me mm-hmm. and coach me through it and help me through it. And honestly, really leverage their networks, um, to help me get a job in Philadelphia. And I'd like to say the rest is history, but very candidly, and this is something we talked about a few months ago, Kate is my parents have very long shadows. And it was hard to find uh, a space mm-hmm. where I could be in the sun by myself and create my own path. Yeah. And it took some time to find that path. And that's how I ended up in commercial law and specifically insurance law, because mm-hmm. uh, it's very different than both of their areas right. of practice. And I've managed to create a space myself and a reputation for myself which has been really important for me mm-hmm. but also making sure as I do that I am forever in gratitude to their assistance and their reputations and their legacies because I know you know at least one out of four times that I make a phone call the other person picks it up because they recognize my last name Um, And when I go in front of a judge, there might be an additional layer of rapport there, even though I don't know the judge, but they know my mom or they know my dad. And always wanting to be appreciative of that um, and respectful of that, but still trying to chart my own course and make my own name. So it's a a unique dance Mm -hmm. that I do. Um, and I know there are a lot of other people who, you know, when they're following in their parents' footsteps or perhaps they go work for like a family business um, or they're sort of in the same industry, you know, they deal with that too. It's walking the line between all, you know, following your parents' footsteps and all the benefits and perks that come along with that because they've already sort of created this this path for you yeah um but also trying to make it on your own do your own thing 
Yeah. I think create the, your own space. Right. Like the easiest example of that is you see like Hollywood, there's so many, you know, parents, yes. children, especially like our generation, there's a lot of um, children of, you know, famous actors and actresses, and they benefit from, you know, seeing their parents go through the whole Hollywood experience. But I think, you know, there's always a comparison, there's always a, um, you know, perspective, I think that they they can't shake from from being part of it. And it's also, you know, you kind of naturally gravitate to some fields, I think, for a lot of people, um, if their parents are, are in those fields. I'm a little bit, I'm very different, I think, than a lot of my family. They've kind of, oh, there's a lot of people in education. My mom was in education. And I knew that that was something I never wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to pursue um, for a number of reasons. But I think as a child, like, for me, and this is like a very raw nerve of like, when your parents work in education, they, there's always, you know, the other children are topic, the other, so they're almost like a parent to another, like, you know, 50 to 100, 200, whatever the class size is, kids, mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you get, you feel, you get a little in your feelings in that when you're like 10 years old, um, so that was always something that I was like, you know, I didn't really like that. And I need to make sure that I, even though I'm not in the same field, that I remember to kind of turn off work and turn off those other people when I'm home with my my kids. That was like one takeaway for me growing up with, with my, my mom working. Did you ever feel like you had a major like negative growing up with your parents both being in law or something that, or a, a major like learning when you look back to like being a kid and having like your mom in law that you're like, I'm going to do this different with Aiden and baby number two. Yes. Um, yes. I, what you say really resonates with me in turning it off um, and being cognizant of that. When I was growing up, the hardest thing for me is that my parents always pushed me to defend my position. Um, and again, it goes back to that whether they did it intentionally or not, um, they were always cultivating uh, <laughs> my my public speaking and argument skills. Mm -hmm. And it was, I always felt like my parents and I were in adversarial positions. Mm. And I hated that. And as I started to contemplate becoming a parent, it was really important for me that my children never felt that way. Mm. Now, I'm certainly not advocating that I need to be my children's best friend because I'm their parent and I feel very strongly about that mm -hmm. um, and those boundaries. That's a different web or a different podcast for a different day. <laughs> Hold on. But, um, <laughs> other topic, that's right. But I, I didn't want my children to feel like they had to constantly defend themselves and prove themselves to me. Right. I wanted it to feel like they were enough and they were unconditionally good and enough. Totally. So, um, you know, I, I, I try like, to practice. Yeah. Yeah. Like your kids, you can just have an opinion and have an opinion when you're 10 right. years old. You don't know why you feel that way. You just mm -hmm. don't like something. And, you know, sometimes you can just say, you know, I don't like this thing. I don't like this person. I don't like meatballs. And as a parent, you just be like, okay, you know, that's, that's fine. 
yes. your mom and dad did you a huge service in like building those skills. So there's probably like, like everything, like we were saying before, there's probably like a middle ground on that. It's like probe your kids to defend themselves and articulate their feelings. But there's also sometimes when you just say, you're a kid and you feel this way and you don't know why. That's right. So I try and practice, you know, parenting where I'm okaying the feeling, I'm acknowledging the feeling. And the feeling is what the feeling is because like you said, at 10 years old, it might be different in two weeks from now. So like, I'm not gonna make this your hill to die on today because you don't wanna eat the meatball. Um, yeah. Because next week you may wanna eat 10 meatballs. I don't know. Love a meatball sub or hoagie or whatever your kids are. <laughs> exactly, <eat>. exactly. <laughs> Hoagies for me, subs for you. Yeah. Um, heroes. Right, heroes. Mm, yeah, now I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> problems of being pregnant. But I will also say um, the other thing I learned from my parents, um, and I know you heard me say this before, but I think it bears repeating, is understanding that you can't be all things to all people all the time mm. we just don't have the capacity as humans right um to especially do that as a mom yeah especially so you know as my mom articulates it and i repeat it to you there are going to be days when i am an excellent lawyer and a good mom and an okay wife and then the next day i could be an excellent mom and an okay lawyer and you know, a good wife. And another day when I'm the best wife in the world and the worst lawyer in the world and my momming's, you know, so, you know, somewhere mediocre. And every day it's gonna be a little bit different, but every day is an opportunity to excel in some way. And, you know, understand that you may not do everything you wanna do yeah. in your other functions of life, but you'll get to it. It'll happen. It'll all come together because a day turns into a week and a week becomes a month and a month is a year. Mm -hmm. And on the whole, you're still doing a good job at all three, even if your day to day, it differs. That was really valuable advice for me and something I tried. I try very hard to remember. It doesn't always work, but I try. <laughs> you don't have to always separate who you are in your different roles I think it's you know it's okay for I think it's like Theo and I always talk about you know there's moments when his like construction manager hat comes on in the house and he starts like kind of bossing people around myself included and I'm like oh what like who, who do you think you're talking to here you know I'm not like your electrician or whatever it might be um and then, you know, the, the marketing side of me might come out to him and, and he's like, stop trying to sell me on something. <laughs> you know? I'm not buying it. Um, but, you know, those are also like good qualities. And it's sometimes it's good to see the other side of somebody that you're in a close relationship with. And I think also for your kids to see a little bit, you know, who is, who's mom at work? You know, who is, who's Hillary in the, in the courtroom? You know, what is she like? And it's kind of funny and it's, it puts a different perspective, I think, for, for kids to know that you're not just their mom. Mm. You, know, you have this other role to, to live out. And I, I saw that a lot with my mom um, growing up. You know, her work was 
very much a part of like our, our everyday lives and night lives. You know, we, she worked at a boarding school, so there was, it was in and out of our home kind of constantly. It was almost like a 24 seven role in different ways. So it was really cool and there was great memories, but um, there were definitely moments where, you know, you're like, okay, I just want you to be my mom right now. I don't want you to be the teacher or the coach or whatever. You know, can you be that one person? And it's got to be harder now, or it is, I think it's harder now for our generation because we're, we're working from home in a pandemic. You can always be on, you have your laptops. I think we're so much more conscious because we have to know to turn it off where I think like our parents' generation, if they were bringing work home, sometimes it was, you know, in manila folders and they were like doing it at the kitchen table just writing or reading or whatever it might be now it's like you have to not look at your phone or see that alert and just say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna address it in like an hour or whatever like i i don't know if you felt that way too growing up with your parents like was was work always around was it always prevalent or did they leave it at the office yeah so um i'm gonna say both but in a different kind of way than what you described. Mm-hmm. Um, work was always around because my parents worked a lot, especially my mom. Um, so they were physically absent from the home and then also from, you know, school events yeah. and sporting events and parties and performances. Mm-hmm. And that is also something that really stuck with me. To their credit, when they were home, they were home and fully engaged as parents. You know, as we got older, my sister and I, and had, you know, more activities of our own. I know I I do have memories of my dad going into his office and working for like a couple hours Mm -hmm. on like a Sunday afternoon or something. But for the most part, when they were home, they were home as parents. But the time they were home was somewhat limited in my opinion <laughs> lacking I understand a lot more now why <laughs> but that it, it is what it is and you know I think you make a really good point about like we have to be so much more cognizant of disconnecting and being present and engaged as parents or spouses or friends because unless you're weird like me and you know, insist on having two separate phones, one for work and one for life, you are getting those updates, right? And for those of us who have Apple watches, you're getting them literally on your person um, Mm -hmm. day in, day out. And, you know, it was really hard for me because I couldn't turn it off. And it was really becoming detrimental to my well-being Mm -hmm. and my relationship with Mark. This was a couple of years ago, but I just, I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't walk away. I yeah. couldn't separate myself from it. So I got separate phones and I have found that it's made it easier because I can physically put it away for a couple hours. Right. I know it's there and it's lingering, but for, you know, a couple hours here and there, or maybe all day Saturday or all day Sunday, whatever day I choose to devote solely to life away from the office or time that I choose to devote away from the office, I'm mm-hmm. fully disconnected. And that has been a lifesaver and a relationship saver. 
for me. So. Yeah. That's a good idea. And also like if you know yourself that well too, or like, I mean, obviously you had to discover it first with Mark, but you did that before Aiden, right? Yes. Yeah. Knowing how to turn it off. And if you have the ability to like for like having an office, you know, living in a home and having that little office space where you like close the laptop, put it away. It's like, it's the same, it's a similar mentality. It's like, you have to like literally shut it down, put it away and be present for your kids and your and your husband and your friends you know whatever whoever you're with at that moment i think it's it's hard yeah. sometimes but you know be diligent about it mm -hmm. yeah that's right you have to commit you have to commit to disconnecting mm -hmm. yeah. which is a hard thing to do especially for those of us who are either type a's or people pleasers or overachievers you know whatever category you fall into um it's hard yeah. So with your work and, and with your parents, you're a part of like similar kind of like professional social groups within Philadelphia. Um, you, I believe your mom was recently acknowledged for an award, right? Like within the past couple of years. Yes. She was the recipient of uh, Philadelphia Bar Foundation, PNC something something you're an amazing person and you contribute great things to the philadelphia legal community award in <laughs> a much briefer title that fits on a plaque yeah <laughs> you're a big deal sadie you're a big deal yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> do you do you feel like your parents have kind of acknowledged just you being the woman that you are following in your your their footsteps in some ways but also being parents have they ever acknowledged the ways that you do things differently maybe than how they are doing things? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. They do and they don't. Um, we're, it's funny, for like a family of lawyers uh, who talk a lot, we talk a lot, but we're not always so great at connecting on an emotional level or yeah. acknowledging um, feelings and being supportive etc so with that being said there were always you know expressions of we're proud of you or you're we see you you're working hard you're doing everything right you know this is a favorite of theirs if you were my associate you know I would give you great marks <laughs> I'm just like uh great great I'd rather you just like be my mom or my mean there's a reason we I didn't work for you right um <laughs> exactly. but more <laughs> but more recently um and this was fascinating to me is my family was profiled as part of an article profiling families of lawyers in Philadelphia cool. and we all were asked similar questions um, but we submitted our responses separately and I didn't see what my parents submitted so I didn't know until the article was published and when the article was published and I was reading it I was absolutely floored to learn that they think I am just doing fantastic and one of the things really really astonished me is that they believe I have a better handle on work-life balance than they ever did, and that I work smarter, not harder, 
which is something they wish they had known how to do as young lawyers. Yeah. And if they had to go back and do it all over again, they would take pages out of my book, my playbook, to be wow. better young lawyers. That's and a like I said, compliment. And very validating for you to like have said, you know, I noticed that my parents weren't as present as I, or physically present, their time at home and and going to your swim meets and all that was lacking. You know, you, you were kind of applying that already. And even though Aiden's just a a little guy, it's like, they, they see that, they acknowledge that, which I think is huge. Yes, it is. And they acknowledged it. And now I have it in writing which is a lawyer's favorite thing to have. <laughs> <laughs> Mom and dad can't write. It's printed, it's published, it's out there. <laughs> it's part of the public record. Um, but again, I, I was just absolutely floored. And for better or worse, you know, it's not something they might be able to communicate directly to me. But in the, at the end of the day, I know how they feel. Yeah. And it was so affirming. And it made me feel so good about choices I'm making, because they're not always easy choices. Like, it's not easy to disconnect. It's not easy to say to the partners at the firm, like, I have a hard stop at 4.30 because I have to go pick up my son and I won't be back online until after 7.30 because those three hours, you know, are completely devoted to him. Mm -hmm. And hoping, hoping, you know, that they're responsive to that and accepting of it and don't pass me over for opportunities and work the next time around because they know I'm not available for you know three hours between 4 30 and 7 30. Right. And they said it's, it's it's a hard thing to commit to and it can create a lot of self-doubt if you're doing it right um, and you're making the right choices but you know it's, it seems to be working my parents approve that's and good. I always, <laughs> always their approval as a firstborn child. So here we are. Exactly. <laughs> and there's, you know, it's also kind of goes back to, too, like you're, you, it is hard choices regardless of, you know, what de- decade we're living in and what decade we're, we're growing up in. I think now we have more capability to say what you're saying, to say, you know, hey, 430 is a hard stop than I think our moms did. Because our, our mothers were still, like you said, like the trailblazers. You know, they were in a room full of men who, if they said that to them, they probably would have scoffed or, you know, been like, oh, okay, yeah, of course you do, you know? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. it's like a mix of like, you, you kind of can't resent your mothers for, for that, even though as a child, you probably were feeling that. It's like, as you get older and you have your own kids, that resentment kind of turns into appreciation because you know that they were making a really hard choice, but something that they had to do in order to have a career, in order to get even us to the position where we're now in, where we can say to our employers, like, look, I'm here from, you know, 7.30 to 4.30 because I need to be there for my son from 4.30 to 7.30 at night. And, And that's now I think not everywhere accepted, but it's widely accepted and we're having more of those conversations where, you know, women are, and it's acknowledged, especially after the pandemic, you have to have a work-life balance. You have to, to figure out when it is your time with your kids versus when it is your time at work. And, you know, that doesn't make you 
a bad employee. So. Yes, agreed. A hundred percent and spot on and so grateful for what our mom sacrificed Mm -hmm. as young professionals so that we, as you said, have the ability to have those conversations in earnest um, and me and, and mean what we're saying, not just like tossing it out there with a sense of entitlement. Or is kind of saying it sheepishly, like, I, I kind of have to go. Yes. It's like, no, I have to go at 430. You know, it's not, you're not okay. asking for forgiveness as your, or permission as you're saying it. Yes, exactly. And, and my mom and I talk about this a lot because sometimes she'll make comments about, um, you know, young attorneys and, you know, working and starting families and, you know, how different it was for her and how she didn't have the same support. So for example, um, when my mom went out on maternity leave with my sister, uh, they didn't, there was no such thing as FMLA back then. Um, and she, hmm? Was that 92 that that was put in place? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so my sister was born in 89 and she came back to, she, she thought she was coming back to work, but when she showed up there, she had been fired. She'd been let go. There was no job for her. And she was astonished. Um, because also, you know, she was, I think she maybe took like six weeks of maternity leave. So nothing particularly extensive. No, hardly um, anything. Barely anything, probably just enough to like get up and feel okay putting on pantyhose again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so my mom's uniform was heels, pantyhose, suit. Like I said, good enough to put on the pantyhose again. And she showed up and they were like, no, you don't work here anymore. Sorry. And I know that was crushing for her. I'd just be thrown away like that because she was choosing to create a family in addition to a practice of law. So as I I like to remind her, Mm -hmm. (laughs) although she faced certain challenges, the challenges that she overcame um, allowed you, me, our generation of women to take things to the next level and advocate for ourselves and create stronger protections for women in the workplace and create equality and equity and opportunities and pay and have a secure foundation upon which to advocate for these things because of their sacrifices. And we're always grateful, but we're going to keep pushing. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, your mom probably has that, like, you know, back in my day, I had to walk up the hill both ways just to get yes. to work in my pantyhose. And it's like... And my four-inch heels. <laughs> don't, don't be mad at this generation for not having to walk up the hill both ways in their pantyhose and heels. Like, we have, you know, most of us have, a lot of women, I think, have some kind of plan of maternity leave, for better or worse, paid, unpaid which is, you know, not, it's, it's shameful in reality. And there will be another episode on this coming up soon um, where, where I talk to somebody in the kind of human resource profession who actually helps create maternity, paternity 
um, parental leave plans for companies. And just gonna, you know, we're in such a, a high conversation period about that right now, you know, where I think you you talk to a lot of mothers and, and their initial response, uh, mothers in our, our mother's generation, and their initial response is like, well, I didn't have anything. You know, we didn't have anything right. in place. We had maybe four weeks or eight weeks. And you kind of want to remind them, but isn't it great that there is a little bit of something now? Isn't it, don't we want it to get better? You know, it's like, we totally right. respect you for having to live through like the shittiest of circumstances and like really plotting through, but like, let's take that as a lesson and make that better. And I think, you know, our moms, are seeing that instead of going like, oh, you know, it was harder when I was your age. We acknowledge that, but let's, let's make mm -hmm. it better. Cause I hope that when our kids are our age, you know, they can look back and say, gosh, wasn't it a absolute travesty and shame that our country didn't have anything in place for parental leave and a paid, right. paid parental leave. Thank God we have that now. Yes. Thank God we have 12 weeks or maybe six months, you know, whoever, whatever we can get to. And it won't just be, it won't just be mothers. You know, maybe our sons will have it. That's the hope. That is absolutely right. What else are we all toiling away for? Yeah. The field? It's not going to be better for our children's generations. Yeah. Just keep on improving. I think it's awesome that you have such like a, a close comparison with your mom in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, as like now you're going into having your second child this experience will be so much better for you than it was for your mom like <laughs> i very much doubt you're going to go back in however many months and not have a job but you know i think there's you're going into a whole other territory of life where you now have multiple children and a job so even more things to compare with your mom yeah, in, yeah, be, in a good way. <laughs> Compare, get absolutely. advice. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny you said something earlier, and I'll just um, circle back to it. Is sometimes you just want your parent to be a parent, right? Not the coach, not the teacher, not the lawyer. Mm -hmm. And at this phase of my life, all I want, in a way that I've never wanted in the past thirty-five years is for my mom to just be my mom and to just be there in that capacity. You know, I know she's always available for me to pick up the phone and say, Hey, I have a legal question or like, how would you handle this? And she loves that stuff. It strokes her ego and she absolutely loves it. But at this point, our relationship is now one of friendship mm -hmm. um, and love and it has taken a long and a long time and a lot of therapy <laughs> to get to this point. Um, but I just, all I want from her is to be my mom. That's all I need at this point. And that's the greatest thing that she can give me. And to her credit, she has really been living up to it mm -hmm. in the recent past. So I'm very, very grateful for that. That's good. I think for you, probably becoming a lawyer and becoming a mother and kind of turning into like the woman that you are, it's so much validation for her that she did a good job, but mm -hmm. that you also love and respect her enough to emulate her in your career and emulate her as a mother, which is probably the same validation that you felt reading that article that you guys were featured in. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is all I need. It's like, she gets it every day from you, probably, is my guess. Your mom sees it too with you, right? Because 
I think we all agree that we have kids for our pers- our own personal reasons, but at the end of the day, we just want them to be good contributing members of society. And if they're doing that, we've succeeded as parents. Um, maybe it's a low bar, but it's a bar nonetheless. And I can certainly say that my mom feels that way. I know your mom feels that way. I'm sure many of the listeners' mothers feel that way. Yeah. Um, but it takes time to get there. And it takes a work. It takes a lot of work. It does. So that's yeah. why we're, right? Boss mamas, because we just work exactly. at everything. Exactly. Thank you so much, Hillary. This was awesome. Yeah. I'm so of course, happy. it was my absolute pleasure. I hope we can find things to talk about in the future as well. Yeah, for sure. You're always welcome on the podcast. You can talk about being a mom of two. You can talk about whatever, a new construction on your home, being a boss mom, designing a new home, all this fun stuff. Thanks for listening to the Boss Mama Jamma podcast. Production and editing credits to the talented people at Podfly. The intro music is a unique take on Bad Mama Jamma by Carl Carlton. Boss Mama Jamma was done by Nicole Y. Anderson, female vocal, Yuri Galactic Belcher, male vocal, Austin McSherbert, recording engineer, and Samuel Ishman Davis, producer and mixing engineer. Well done, guys. If you like what you heard and want to follow the podcast on social media, at Boss Mama Jamma can be found on Instagram and TikTok. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can find Boss Mama Jamma on Patreon. And last but not least, if you'd like to reach out with any questions, share your experiences, or suggest other topics to unpack on the podcast, you can email bossmamajamapodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, tits up, mama. You got this.